Why don't you stand to your feet, everybody, as we salute your pastor, Pastor Randy. I believe this is what the greatest pastor on this side of Cloverdale. Come on, let's hear it for him. Give the Lord praise for him. This is your pastor. It's not a foreign one. This is yours. And Pastor Thomas, I just met him five minutes ago. Where is he? Oh, you're in the back there. Let's, let's honor him tonight. We honor you, sir, for the opportunity to be here tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we honor you in this moment. We decrease and we say that you increase so that that which you have for your people tonight will be received in good soil and that not one individual will leave this place the way they came. Thank you, O God, for life transformation tonight by the renewing of their minds. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Before you're seated, say this with me. I am changing. I'm changing. I'm being transformed, I'm being transformed. By, the by the renewing of my mind. The word of God is spirit, and it is life to me. And I believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing before you're seated. Look to the person nearest to you. Look at somebody. Uh, no, don't look at me. Look at somebody else. Say neighbor. Let's try that again. Neighbor, if you knew who I was, you'll take me to dinner tonight. All right. And you may be seated. Now you know why I didn't want you to look at me. <laughs> but we honor the Lord for an opportunity to be here tonight. I am in a pinch, and I don't know how we're going to get through all of this, but by the auspices and divine orchestration of the Holy Spirit, we will do. Because my assignment in these couple of days is to reposition you for uh, fulfillment, to reposition you and activate you for a greater work in the kingdom of God. And that's what we are about. Some of it might be a little tight, but I can assure you it is right because everything is steeped and is founded on the word of God. Um, if you were here um, during the other nights, and you know I'm a teaching gift and I need to see you using your tools. If you didn't bring your paper and your pen tonight, borrow something from somebody because I guarantee you that there is something that the Lord wants to say to you tonight that the Spirit of the Lord wants to stay. Amen? We don't want to miss anything, but we want the Word of God to stay so that we can respond at the appropriate time. Amen. I want to honor my wife as she comes in. Let's give the Lord praise for her. Yeah. Mighty woman of God. As well as my daughter, Cariel, who is here sharing with us as well. There are several points. Now, I'm going to move kind of uh, very quickly, so you have to use the pen of a ready writer. Uh, there are three points I want to, to reiterate from our meeting on Thursday night, and the first of which is this, that where your treasures lie are reflected by the things that you're passionate about. Where your treasure lie is reflected by the things that you are passionate about. Secondly, when we look through the book of Nehemiah, and we did, did that um, fairly extensively on Thursday, we discover that activated passion, activated passion will, al will, al will almost always push you out of your comfort zone. Activated passion will push you outside of your comfort zone. If you've bought a house, that was activated passion. It pushed you outside of your natural comfort zone. If you started a business, it was uncomfortable because it pushed you 
out of your established and your comfort zone. Thirdly, there is a cost for rebellion against God's will for your life. When we disobey God, we actually fight against God because the Bible says either you are for me or you are against me. I would that you be hot or that you be cold because if you are lukewarm in the middle, then what? I will spew you out of, your, out of my mouth. And so we have to be committed to God and understand that when we disobey the word of God, we are essentially in opposition or in rebellion to the word of God. So in other words, if the word of God says go and we do not go, then we are in opposition to the will of God. And if we're in opposition to the will of God, we are actually operating in rebellion. And rebellion is the easiest way to disinherit yourself from God's blessings. Let me repeat it again. Disobeying the word of God or disobeying the call of God is the easiest way to disinherit yourself from the blessings of God. Many of us are suffering and not doing well simply because we are rebellious to the things of God. Not that we do not know him as, a sa- as, as our Lord and Savior. Not that we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, but simply because we will not move when God says to move. Let's go on. And so tonight we want to look at something, something a little bit closer to home. I want you to say this, uh, this with me. Tonight, this word is about me. Let's say it again. Tonight, this word is about me as a person. See, it's not for your neighbor. It's not for the pastor. That was last night. Pastor's night was last night. If you, for the men know what I'm talking about, that was his night last night. But it's about you tonight. It's about me as an individual. So many people are dissatisfied in life in that they go to jobs that they hate with people they detest for wages that they complain about eternally. But nevertheless, we do it every day because there's a paycheck right around the corner. Is there any witness in here tonight? Or am I in the wrong church? You, you, you. But as a result of not being fulfilled, as a result of not being fulfilled, many people jump out of windows because they fail to see the meaning in their lives. Many careers have been aborted because of the lack of meaning. Many have walked away from the faith because they failed to see the purpose of going through the issues of life. Many lose their grip on their connection with the Lord Jesus Christ because they think life ought to be a bed of roses. In the final analysis, everybody's looking for for meaning. Proverbs 20, 20 and 5 verse 5 says, A plan which is a motive or wild counsel in the heart of a man is like deep waters, or waters in a deep well. But a man of understanding will draw it out. And so that's what we want tonight. We want, we want revelation from the Lord tonight to draw out the deep waters of our own lives. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. you're deeper than you think. I know somebody said, I could have told you that. But you, you, seriously, you're really deeper than you think. Because the creator 
has put something on the inside of you that you and I have to catch up with. And the more we, 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 we put ourselves in a position to receive of him, the more we discover about ourselves. Let me repeat it. But the more we give ourselves to him, the more we discover ourselves. And so the gateway of, to understanding who we are and what God has placed on the inside of us lies in a relationship with, with Christ. If we do not have a relationship with Christ, I can guarantee you, you'll never really discover the true reason why you were born. Don't feel that you're special in this search for meaning. Martin Luther had this problem as well. Uh, he was a part of the Catholic, uh, Catholic Church as a monk and uh, just felt that, oh, there was mass all day. So he, I don't know how many times a day they had mass. He was a priest, so he had to celebrate mass. But there was this unrest in his spirit. There's got to be more to it than just doing this. And history tells us, if you read church history, it will tell you that he stood on the steps of the cathedral. And that day, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and revealed to him a scripture in Romans 1 and 7, 17 that says, The just shall live by faith. It is in that that he found meaning. But he was not the only one. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. It is interesting that it took Solomon 700 wives and 400 concubines to discover. I'm kind of I'm wondering, where's the wisdom in this guy? 700 wives. I mean, I have one. And the half has never been told. But after all of those wives, he concludes, brothers and sisters, that all is vanity and what? Vexation of spirit. I'm wondering, well, if you're going to discover meaning uh, after wife one. <laughs> yeah, let me leave that. I didn't come here for that. Paul, Paul had a similar experience, had a similar uh, problem. And he says, brothers, in, this is uh, Philippians 3 and verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have, I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind, key scripture, and straining forward. I press. Say, I press. You're not going to discover what God has for you unless you endure the press. As long as you're alive and as long as you have breath, there is going to be a press to find yourself in the center of God's will. Because there is a war going on in this flesh. Have you not noticed? Paul, the apostle himself, says that the things I ought to do are the things that I do not do. But the things that I do that are right, yet not I, it isn't I that do them, but it is the grace and the Spirit of God that is on the inside of me that does them. Thank you, Lord. So it suggests to us that the pursuit for meaning, the pursuit for fulfillment in the kingdom of God, is a continuous pursuit. It doesn't come automatically. And I made a statement last night that the will of God is not automatic. And, and that is reinforced by the, the, the statement that for every principle, for every uh, prophecy, for every promise in the Bible, there is a faith process to bring it to pass. 
Nothing that God says happens to us automatically because he does not control things. And you read your book, read the book in Genesis, and that's why he gave man dominion. Dominion means control. And so whatever God is doing in the earth, he requires the cooperation of human beings. Now, there is the will of God, there's the permissive will of God, and there's the sovereign will of God. I mean, that's another story, but I'm telling you, I just came to tell you that you and I are in control of our destiny, even though God has etched it and created it before we were born, because he says this in the Bible. He says that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become the sons of God. So that, that, what that means in English is that he does not take away our choice. He does not take away our ability to make a determination as to whether we're going to be believers or whether we're not going to be believers. But he knows, since he's God, he knows the path that we will take. And because he knows that, he has predestined those who would make the right choices to become sons and daughters of God. Are you still here? (laughs) I'm just checking. So there are five key questions, five key questions that every human being will ask, will ask or ought to ask and find answers for. The first question is, who am I? That has to do with our identity. Second question, where am I from? That has to do with our source. Why am I here? That has to do with our purpose. What can I do? That has to do with our potential. And then finally, where am I going? That has to do with destiny. First, who am I? Secondly, where am I from? Thirdly, why am I here? Fourth, what can I do? And fifth, where am I going? So that's why that connects with what Paul says. Not having reference to those things which I have achieved. Those things which are in the past. Because all the things in the past does for me is to show up, how, show, show up in, in my face how far I need to go. Yeah. So therefore, I must press. I'm standing in front of you doing this teaching. It does not mean that I have attained. What it does mean is that for me, the press is further, maybe a little bit further than yours in a different kind of way because we're all different in different circumstances. But nevertheless, there is a press for each of us. Yeah. But I want to deliver this message to you from heaven. And that message is this. That God does not, want, does not want to hide himself from you. He does not want to confuse you. There is no point in God putting you in this earth unless the truth of your arrival is revealed to you. Because unless we know God's initial intent, and that is what truth is, by the way. Truth is original information. Unless we know the original information, the original reason why we have been placed in this earth, we cannot uh, fulfill the purpose of God. You cannot fulfill the purpose of God without the knowledge of God. Unless we know what was the intent of the Creator, we cannot fulfill that purpose. And that's why we'll go from career to career. That's why Solomon went from wife to wife to wife to concubine to concubine because he was looking in the wrong place. And so we are to go back to the creator and discover what it is he's saying. And so the thing is that if you you 
want to know what purpose is. Purpose is the reason for the existing of a thing. And if you want to know what the purpose of a thing is, you do not ask the thing. You ask the creator. Because nobody can question what you have achieved and what you have attained except the creator. It's not your wife that determines how far you go in life. It is not your past that determines how far you go in life or your boss who thinks he's God. But it is the creator. And so it would make sense that we keep, we keep in contact with the creator. Let me move on. There are seven principles I want to give you concerning purpose. And then I get to hopefully get to where, where I really want to go tonight. And here's the first point, the, pur- the, 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 the principles of purpose. Number one, God is a God of intent and purpose. There is nothing that God does that doesn't have an intent or a purpose. And the thing about this is that God creates the purpose and the intent before he creates the thing. Let me go over here. God creates the purpose and the intent before he creates the thing. That's why even before he made man, man had his assignment. The Bible says, in the beginning, God did what? God created heaven and he created earth. First of all, God called, and then he created some things, right? Fish be, rhinoceros be, or is it rhinoceri? I don't know. You English majors can help me with that. But anyway, whatever it is, giraffes be. But when it came to man, he did something odd. Called the board meeting. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he said, let us. Never said that before. When he made the dog, he didn't say, let us. He said, doggy, be. And the Bible says, doggy was. And then God says, it was good. But no, no, no. When it came to man, that's not what happened. He called a board meeting. There was a consensus. And he said this, let us make man in our own image. Which suggests to us, That God has given his own assignment to man in the earth. Let me move on. Everything in life has a purpose. Everything in life has an ecology. It has a a, a specific reason for being. It has a a design. It has a, a DNA for being. If you're a human being, chances are you have two legs. If you're a horse, chances are you have four legs. If you have a horse at home that has three legs, that's not quite a horse. It's one of those stool things. But there's there's an ecology. There's There's an ecology. Let's move on. Every purpose is readily, is not necessarily readily known. Every purpose is not readily known. And there's a reason for that. See, God is no fool. God knows and understands that he's given man this ability to choose. But he's created the purpose of man, and he hid the purpose of man, I say hid in quotation marks, or placed the the purpose for man in himself. The seed is in the man, but the revelation of the seed in the man is in God. 
That is why, in order to discover why you are here, you must go and through that discovery, you must first seek God. That's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom of, of heaven and his righteousness, and then what? All of these things are going to be given to you. So we've got to, in order to discover who we are, we have to go to the creator, ask, knock, and seek. That's what the Bible says. And these things shall be revealed unto us. So if you want to know who you are, you want to know the reason why you're here, first seek God. First have a relationship with him. First you ask of him, and then all should be revealed. Then where purpose is not known... There is inevitable abuse. Good word. So if you do not know uh, and acknowledge the purpose of a thing because of ignorance, then naturally you will abuse the thing. Wow. I don't have time to elaborate on that. The purpose, purpose is key to fulfillment. You cannot please God if you're not fulfilling what he said. So purpose is key to fulfillment. You want to be fulfilled in life. That's why most doctors, if you know, if you know people in medical field, most of them have other interests. I have doctor friends who are economists on the side. They're doctors who, are, who breed animals. They're doctors who do all kinds of things. And you would have thought, well, if you spent all those years in, in, in medical school, Boy, you must be satisfied with medicine. Not necessarily so. Because, see, unless you're living out the purpose that was designed by God, you're going to ever be seeking, ever be searching for what it is you really ought to be doing. And you're looking at somebody who's trained in accounting. But that wasn't my calling. <laughs> I have not gotten one day of fulfillment for being an accountant. Amen. I got some good money. But it wasn't fulfilling. <laughs> My fulfill, fulfillment comes in what I'm doing right now. That's it. But sometimes, because of our own uh, selfishness, because of our uh, because of circumstances of life. We find ourselves in a certain in certain position, and then we decide, well, I'm going to make this my own. And so that's what we do. We make it our own on the outside and at the peril of what God has called for. And sometimes you end up losing your job in order to find God. Yeah, absolutely. And through finding God, you find your purpose. Would it not have been easier <laughs> to seek God first? Like he said. That's what he said. Seek you first. But let's move on. Okay, uh, that was number seven. Uh, uh, see, uh, there. So the thing is, we must understand the connection between purpose and gifts. Must understand the connection. So, write this down. You are gifted according to your purpose. When God designed you, he designed you for a purpose. Amen. And therefore, he put what was necessary on the inside of you and on the inside of me so that I could fulfill the purpose. I married a beautiful woman, Amen. and as a result, we, we, we produce an even more beautiful daughter. Thank 
I walk around the place and I tell everybody, that's my daughter. I didn't give birth to her, though. But there's a reason why I couldn't give birth to her. Because I was not designed to do so. Why is it? Why is it that we why is it that we, we want to force round pegs in square holes? Why is it that we want to, to do what we want to do instead of follow God's design? Look what God has done. I did, I mean I had a little hand in it, but look what God has done. Simply because we followed his design. Look at your life. Look what God has done with you ever since you came to him and you yielded your life to him. He brought something beautiful out of what was rubbish. Am I talking to the church in here or am I talking to myself? Look at where you were and what God has done with you. You might be the only person in your family who knows God. You might be the only person in your, in your workplace that knows God. Look what God has done for you. He does, you should have been dead under the prison years ago, forgotten, cursed, and, you know, a curtain, black curtain put over you forever. But my Bible tells me that God has raised up us, raised up us and he has given us a name. A name like no other. I want you to stand up, everybody. Stand up. Now I'm going to stand over here so you can see me real good. Can you all see me? I want you to stand tall and push your chest out. Because I am somebody. Come on, with an attitude. I am somebody. I can't hear you. I am somebody. I've been designed by God. I've got something important on the inside of me. Because he made me like no other. Come on, shout and give the Lord praise and glory. You may be seated. You see, because it's all about you. What God put his best on the inside of you. Your neighbor may not like you. Your wife may be mad with you today. But when you stand in the mirror, you can look in that mirror and say, this is God's design. The key to remember is that it's God's design and not yours. Because you were not deep enough to design yourself. If I asked you the purpose of your fingernails, You'll probably say, oh. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to do it. So, so, so uh, let's, let, me, let me move on. Okay. So you're not a mistake. Let me get that out of the way. You're not a mistake. You may not look like Pastor Randy. You may not have his gift of wit. You may not have has his gift to organize. You may not have his magnetic personality. You may not have the elocution style and the elocution abilities that he has to get, put words together and, and just rope people into the kingdom like nobody's business. But I came to tell you that God gave you something that nobody can take away from you. That's right. That's right. It doesn't matter if you have a big name, a hyphenated name, or you have no name at all. There are people in the Bible that God used mightily who had no name. And we'll talk about some of them later on. I just want you to know and understand that you are special to God. And under no circumstances, under no circumstances are you ought to allow anybody to tell you it differently. 
You are not to allow anybody ever to put down what God has designed from the foundation of the earth. That's why murder is such a serious thing. Because when a murder is committed, you're, you're not just not taking the life. You're actually killing the image of God. It's that serious that you're actually executing the image of God. And when God takes the time to design man and the presses to put his lips on the clay and, and cause man to become a living soul, it's something that is very, very special. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, these words. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. I referred to this before, but I need you to get it. Now unto him that is able to do what? Exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. How does he do those things? He does it according to the power that worketh in us. So if you don't get anything else I say tonight, the, the, the power of God is designed to be manifested through me. Not because of what I said, that because of what God says. Because it was God that says, let us make man in our own image. Let us make man in such a way that we can channel our power through us. Through our offspring. Through those who look like us. So you're not just a bump on the log. I curse that spirit of inferiority in the name of Jesus. That spirit that, tells, that told you that you are nothing, that you'll never amount to anything because of what your grandfather did, what your grandmother did, and all those curses that went on before. In the name of Jesus, I decapitate that lie. You are somebody. You're the image of Christ. I want you to get this picture. Listen. The Bible says, when God made man, he went down and then he breathed into man, and man became what? A living soul. I'm a little ahead of myself, but you need to understand that when God blew into man's nostril and man became a living soul, God did something else. That's not where the process uh, ended. He created man, and then he, he made some decisions. Remember, he's an intentional God. So he had a purpose even before you were created. And even before you, you were created, God determined, Richard, that in 2022, in this month, he needed a Richard Bow. He needed a being that's made up like you. Thank you Lord. He needed somebody who could function in this world, who could speak the technological language of this world in 2022. That's why you were born for this age and not for the age to come. So in other words, when, when, when God made man, he designed you in such a way for where he wants you to be in the future. Are you with me? God did not... See, we, we tend to live in the past. And we had this conversation earlier today. The past is over. Say it with me. The past is over. It's gone. Let me give you an illustration out of your Bible. Before Noah... 
And there are Bible scholars over here, and if I'm wrong, I'm sure my brother will correct me. <laughs> I love him daily, and we're going to talk tomorrow morning, Lord willing, we're going to talk more with him. He's going to help me preach. Um, but the thing is, before Noah came onto the face of the earth, there was no rain. Am I right? Why was there no rain? Because there was no need for rain. Because the earth was actually provided the moisture that it needed by multiple tributaries to rivers. That's what God's, that was God's design. That's what made what God called Noah to do so ridiculous. God said, Noah, I want you to go and build an ark. And the people said, an ark? What's that? They said, build an ark because the rain is coming. The who is coming? The rain is coming. Rain. What is rain? God had Noah make the ark, build the ark. The ark had a purpose, had a function, had a schedule and time of operation. After the flood and the, the, boat, the, the boat landed, you hear nothing else about the ark. Scientists are still looking for it and can't find it. You know why? Because the season for the ark was over. It was the past. So although God had Noah invest all that money and all that time to create the ark, the time came when the ark was history. It was no longer good. That's why we have to understand that we ought to wear the past. We have to be aware of the past, but we must not allow the past to contaminate the future. Because if we're not thinking as God is thinking, we're going to be anchored to the age of horse and buggy, and we're going to refuse jets. We're going to refuse opportunities to go to outer space. Because it hadn't been done before. There are some theologians who suggest that they cannot to this day find the ark because when the ark was over, God told Noah, may have told Noah, break it up and build me an altar. Can you see that? God may have passed by Cloverdale and he said, break up your little shop. That's why he sent COVID. Break up your little shop. And we spend time and money trying to get the Ark of Cloverdale back. And God has said, I don't want it. I've given you a future. Yes. I've given you something greater than you past, than the past. Have you noticed the pattern of God? Mm-hmm. What God gives you is always greater than what you had before. Yes. Remember Lot? Lot lost this, he lost that, he lost the other thing, he kept losing, he kept losing. You read your Bible, and at the end of the day, the Bible says, and God increased him. I came to tell you that God's going to increase this church, and he's going to do it through you, through you, through you, through you, through you, through you. It isn't about the building, but it's about you, the church, you and I, the individual members of the church. When we begin to stand up and say, I am the church. Because I'm ordained by God and I've been set by God in this season to make a difference in this world. Yes. 
God never intended man to sit around on the dock of the bay watching the ships come in and go out and do nothing. God intended us to take dominion. He intended us to make a difference in the world. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that behold, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. God did a tremendous job in us. I'm going to try to bring this home. There are a couple of reasons why we must be activated and we must be mobilized. And we cannot sit around in the body of Christ like zombies any longer expecting God to do something marvelous in our midst. Because the miracle has already happened. The good work of God has already been done. Do you know why I know? Because he created you. You're in the image. You carry God's glory. But we send to God, send your glory. Oh, God, send the glory. And then we sing it in tongues. And God looks at him and says, what are you talking about? Do you have the glory, bro? All we, the Bible says, the Bible says this. You are the light of the world. What do you think that means? Exactly. So it means that wherever you go, you're walking through Walmart. I am the light of the world. You go into the bank for a loan. I'm the light of the world. Your car stops on the highway. I'm the light of the world. You get in an argument with your husband. I'm the light of the world. And it doesn't stop there. It says it's a, you're a city. I mean, your light is so bright. Your witness, your work, your walk, what you do, your thoughts are so big and so bright. It affects the entire... Are you getting this? And it affects the entire city. When you do not shine, the city suffers a blackout. When you do not show up to church and serve in your regular spot, the church is in a blackout. doesn't stop there. You are the salt of the earth. <laughs> that means there's no, no flavor around here without you. And so we said, Pastor Randy hasn't called my name for three weeks now. Do you know what? I'm not giving any offering. Bless the name of the Lord. They want me to sing that I'm not singing today. <laughs> Somebody needs to see through the eyes of the Spirit and apologize to me in Jesus' name. And so we sit on our duffs and we find scripture to support it and we stew. And if, the, if you stew long enough, you know what you originally put in the pot no longer looks like what you put in the pot. It gets all shredded. That's right. Look, let's wake up from that. The Spirit of the Lord is calling us to a higher level of service. Yeah. And here's why. Because we have the DNA of God the Father. That's it. Praise the Lord. If you have the DNA of Queen Elizabeth, 
the queen. You will walk around on tippy toes with gloves on your hands and your little bag on your thingy, and you will drink tea <laughs> with your pinky. Why? Because the DNA, and you, yeah, the brother got, you got it, you got it. Because the DNA demands a certain kind of behavior. Does it not? Well, if somebody looks at you, do you and I exude the DNA of God the Father? What are we doing to the image? What are we doing to the image? So, so if, we, if, if we were able to clone the image of God, and God gave us the opportunity to bend down and to craft another being, and we blew into that individual's nostril, what will come out of that? Will that be a Frankenstein, or would that be the image of God? All I'm trying to tell you is that God has put something so important on the inside of you that we may have allowed the devil to sit right here and talk us out of God's goodness and out of his grace because we minimize what God has designed. Stand up with me. There's much more I can say, but say this with me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I can have what God says I can have. And I refuse to be intimidated by fear. I refuse to be intimidated by what people say. I refuse to be intimidated by my own incompetence. I am called by God for this season to execute what he has placed on the inside of me. And I will do whatever it takes to fulfill the call of God on my life. I will not go to the Father and be found wanting. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord praise and glory for what he's put on the inside of you. Now take a seat. I just want to take another two or three minutes and, and then I'll be gone. So you say to me, Pastor, okay, so I heard all of that. So, but I don't know what my purpose is. I'm glad you asked. There are several ways you can know. Number one, how do you know what it is, what your purpose is? What are the things that make you angry? That's the first one. Number two, the things that make you happy. There's a commercial, I believe, on, um, I think it's CNN, I'm not sure. I think it is. Uh, uh, it, it has to do with a child that, was, that, that was, is autistic. And the commercial goes that it was the lavender scent that, as a kid, that calmed the child down. And so, as a result of that, the mother made the boy her mission. They started a business making lavender soap. Now he's a young man in a thriving business making soap out of lavender. I'm only telling you that your purpose is connected to those things that make you angry and it's connected to those things that make you happy. Number three, what would you do with your life 
apart from sitting on the beach in the Bahamas, <laughs> if money was no objective, what would you do? Wow. Next question. What are you prepared to die for? Final question, but well, not the final one, but next, uh, the, the corollary to that is, what are you prepared to live for? Spend the rest of your life doing Very without good. pay. Very good. Wow. Good. Final one. What would you rather be doing when Jesus came back? Jesus came today. What would you rather him find you doing? And if you're confused about what your purpose is, ask the Creator. He will show you. And I'm going to talk about this tomorrow morning. Now, tomorrow morning, I've got to admit to you, is not your regular Sunday. I, I, I may as well tell you right now, because we had a conversation, and tomorrow is not going to be your regular Sunday. You want to be in the house, you want to come with your tools, and be ready to be renovated. There's some practical things. See, we're so deep and we're so spiritual and we're so holy all the time, so we're no earthly good. But until you're ready to transition to heaven, you and I need to deal with some practical stuff. All right? And so that's where we will be in tomorrow morning. Your purpose will set you free from work. If you're able to live in your purpose... You will never work another day in your life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, these are your people. Thank you, Lord. These are your hand created. These are those that you have chosen and set in time. These are those that you have set aside in this particular assembly. And these are the instruments that you will use for the next leg of the journey. Open the eyes of their understanding now. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I'm done, I suppose the Lord wants me to share this with you. The passage of Scripture that says that you ought not to put new wine and old wineskins. The Bible is very clear about this. You say, Pastor, all I'm hearing you talk about the future, and I'm hearing you talk about this new thing, and Pastor Randy's talking about God doing this new thing. But I've been around for a while. Many of us who've been around for a while will feel that perhaps our time has passed, and that we've done all that we could We've given our lives to the kingdom. I'm going to care to tell you that don't believe that lie. You're not done yet. Because it's not over until God says it's over. Let me tell you about wineskins. I don't know if you know, but back in the day, even when the wineskins got old and tattered they did not throw them away 
See, there's some people in society will throw you away because you're over 50. Some places in society will put you on the junk heap because you're 65 and whatever. Can I tell you that Moses was 80 before he really accepted the call of God? Do you remember a guy by the name of Abe? Abe? Abraham? And he had this lovely wife, uh, Sister Sarah. They were having children. Don't tell anybody. They were having children at 100. But you're just turning 50 and you're done. That's not the will of God. Oh, your wineskins might have been around for a little while. But let me tell you about wineskins. What they do with the repurposing of wineskins is that first thing they do is they take off all the ornaments. So all the old ornaments that were on the old wineskins, they take them off. Then they take those wineskins and then they soak them and soak them and soak them and soak them again. And so just when you think that the wineskin is so saturated that it cannot take any more fluid, it's soaked again. And then the workman comes and he takes it out of the water, places it on an anvil. I don't know if you know what an anvil is, but if you do. And then the workman actually takes a hammer to the wineskin. And he banks it. You see, because... While the, uh, the, the wineskin was old, it got some wrinkles. While it was in the solution, it got some bubbles in there. And so the workman has to take it out and he had puts it on the, the, the anvil. And he bangs it and he bangs it to get all the wrinkles and all the, all the bubbles out of it. Some of you have gone through eternal hell. I came to tell you that simply that the spirit of the living God is actually banking, banking, banging out the wrinkles in your life. You might have gone through some stuff. You might be going through some stuff. Your church might have gone through some stuff. Your business might have gone through stuff. And you wonder, well, God, where are you? I'm your child. I'm your servant. I've been serving you. What in the world is this all about? And you're just getting bang after bang after bang. When the workman is satisfied that he's gotten all of the wrinkles and the bubbles out, there's another process. He takes the old wineskin and he massages it with oil. He massages it with oil until that old thing regains its old flexibility. And then he massages it and massages it. I came to tell you that the Holy Spirit of God is doing that in your life right now. It's a spirit of renewing. He will massage you all those creaks and cracks and all of those bones that don't seem, all of that fuel and the fire that would have gone out. That's what's happening now. He's massaging by the power of the Holy Spirit. When he is good and satisfied, that flexibility has been turned. Flexibility means that you're going to hear from the Lord afresh again. That you're renewed in your spirit again. 
the joy of your salvation has been returned again. That's why Paul says, I'm, I'm, I might have been beaten, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not defeated. I might have been cast down and all of this thing, but I, I'm, I'm not giving up. Why? Because there is the oil of the anointing. Finally, after he's satisfied that the, the, the old wine skin has been renewed, he goes through the process of reforming it. I want you to get this picture. But he never reforms the wineskin in the same fashion that it was originally. Because if he did, there is a propensity for the old wineskin to reshape itself back into what it used to be. That is why the Spirit of the Lord has sent me to this place to show you that there is a brand new day. There is a brand new you. After the massaging of the Holy Spirit. There's a brand new fire. There's a brand new shape that's coming to your Christian life. The zeal to serve God and to be a vessel of honor before Him. The thing that gets me after all of that. They don't put those old ornaments on the wineskin again. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He puts new ornaments. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Look at the maid. Say, neighbor... Look at me now. Oh, there are new ornaments here now. Look at me now. And I'm a vessel of honor. Don't let anybody tell you that it's over in your life. You may not be able to hold a job any longer. But you have something in your hands called a smartphone. Moses was in this position, you know. And God says to Moses, why are you complaining to me? What is in your hands? And Moses said, what, what do you mean? What kind of question it is? It's a rod, Lord. He said it with an attitude. It's a rod, Lord. God says, okay, use it. <laughs> There's something in your hand. There's something in your hands. Close your eyes and lift your hands. Father, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit to these your people reveal to them now by your power exactly what is in their hands not their neighbor's hands what's in their hands reveal to them how you will use them in the days ahead reveal to them the resources that's available to them right now. They don't have to go and spend money. They don't have to go and do a new thing. There is something in their hands that you have created for them to do. And I command it comes forth now in the name of Jesus. And we push back against the spirit of do nothing. We push back about the spirit, the spirit of, en of the enemy that tells us what we cannot do. We refuse to back up. We refuse to say what we cannot do, but we mobilize from this moment onward. Onward, Christian soldiers. We're going on to war. And we intend to win. In Jesus' name. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Now thank the Lord for what he's done for you, not for anybody else, but for you as an individual. It's so important. You may be seated. I'm done, but I have one other thing to do. 
I'm going to ask Pastor Randy to come and stand with me. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and uh, told me by way of assisting this ministry to the next level. New thinking is required. A new initiative is required. I'm not the pastor here. I'm not the authority here. I'm only a voice. This is your visionary. Every man who's connected to this house who was here last night understand the significance of what I just said. Your job is to stand behind the visionary. I'm not telling you to question him. I'm telling you to support the vision that comes out of his mouth. He stands before you as Moses. Remember what happened to Miriam and Aaron when they got beside themselves. If we're going to mobilize and if we're going to become vessels of honor and do what God has commanded us to do, we have to do it God's way. And it requires change. I don't know the internal politics of your church. That's not my business. But my job is to assist this pastor to lead the charge for the next level. I'm going to ask the other pastors to come. Those of you who are here. Is that it? Are there pastors who are not here? Or this, is, this, no, this, this is the pastor. This is the pastors. Pastor Thomas, you, you, you come. Now you stand over here. You, do you have any other pastor here with you? Any other leaders here? Okay, come. Come, my brother. Okay, come, stand here. Right there. No, you're in the right place. You're right by his side. I need you to see this. You cannot lead from behind. Try to lead your father. What's his name? Try to lead your father. Go ahead. Try to lead him. Lead him. Yeah. You have to do one or two things. You have to do one or two things. He either has to pull him back or jump in front of him. Either way, you're in rebellion. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You cannot change the order of God. But if you support, I want to show you something. Here's support. No, no, Christian, you turn around. Yes. Now push your pastor. Do you see how that works? You can push him. You could push him the way he never went before. And do you know why? Because God has given you a supportive position to the main vision. You're going to be able to put flesh on what he says. He sees you execute. Is that clear? And the rest of us are behind them. Think of it this way. If you have a business and your secretary is running you, you got a challenge. You better know who's the boss. 
and who's pushing whom. Because if the wrong pushing goes on, we're going to be headed to bankruptcy. The church of Jesus Christ, this particular church, I decree and declare by the Spirit of the living God that you're being set up for a takeoff like never before. Apply the scripture in both cases that I do not pretend that I have attained, but I press. And I press towards the mark, the prize. Follow your leader as he follows Christ and you will see God. So both pastors, I bless you in the name of the Lord and I say this to you. Not only are you to take the leaders that stand before you, but if you're going to get to the future, you need some new minds. You need to get some people who are non-ministers, who have an eye for the future, who speak a language that you may not even speak. You need them on your team. Because God will give you the vision, but he may not necessarily give you the know-how. But the know-how is in the house. Thank you, Lord. But don't have permission to make a move. That's a good word. Do you understand, Pastor? Get some youth around you. Some people who, they don't look like pastors. They don't sound like pastors. <laughs> Think of it. When, 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 when Samuel was anointed king, he didn't look like a pastor. Didn't look like a king. Do you remember David? The Bible says he was a sheep runner. They didn't even count him as part of the family. So don't judge people by what they look like. But the Spirit of the Lord will reveal to you what's in their spirit. That's the people you want on your team. And I decree and declare that the Spirit of the Lord will take you from height to height. Meet with them regularly. Don't have to be at church. Go to lunch, have breakfast, whatever. Because it's not church as usual. This is a brand new day. After the ark, God told Noah, break up the ship and build me an altar. May the Lord bless you. May his keep you. May his countenance shine upon you and give you peace.